Good evening to you, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the precious name of Jesus. No more a stranger nor a guest, but like a child at home. How beautiful is that? That's our position in Jesus Christ. We're like a child at home. When I think of a child being at home, I think of a place of warmth. I think of a place that is inviting. I think of a place of of structure, of discipline. And yet joy, belonging, not just out there somewhere, but like I mean something. Someone wants me. Someone cares. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. This evening, we're going to talk about freedom. What's funny about that? Yeah, freedom. And you might think, freedom? Come on, that looks like bondage to me. That looks like slavery, does it not? No, brothers and sisters, this is all about freedom. Turn to Matthew chapter 11 for a text this evening. Verses 28 through 30. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Tonight we're talking about freedom in Jesus. Let's think for a moment about yokes. What is a yoke? Well, a yoke is a a wooden frame here. It's a wooden beam that joined a pair of draft animals together. Maybe oxen. Joined them together so they could work together as a team. So they could pull together. Maybe it was pulling a cart. Maybe it was pulling a plow or some other load. But it had the purpose. It was all about joining two animals together so they could work together as a team. Now, Jesus was a carpenter. And so Jesus worked with wood. Carpenters in those days would have been uh, making roofs or doors or window shutters, tools, frames for farming, various uh, farming equipment, plows, uh, yokes. Yeah. Isn't that interesting to think about that Jesus there in 
the carpenter shop with his father, they probably made many yokes. Isn't that fascinating sometimes to think about that, that Jesus was employed, uh, that Jesus was a carpenter, he had a job, like he had a carpenter shop. I wonder what it looked like. Do you think Jesus kept it neat and clean and tidy, or, or was Jesus kind of messy? Like, I, I, you know, it's, it's just interesting to think about that. Like, what was Jesus like? Like, how was his work? I mean, how neat was it? Did he give a lot of attention to detail? I, he was God. I don't, it's just interesting to think about those things. But Jesus, no doubt, made some yokes. So Jesus knew a lot about yokes, as well as other aspects of farm life. Now, what did the people know about yokes? Tell you what. Let's see if this works. What did the people know about yokes? Certainly the people understood their purpose when it came to farming or hauling or pulling loads. The people understood that. But the expression of a yoke was commonly used in the Old Testament to describe Israel's subjection to foreign oppression. They were, they were in a yoke of bondage, you could say, to foreign oppression. But by the time that Jesus came on the scene, the yoke had also become a religious term. It referred to subjection to the law being yoked to the law, being in bondage to the law. The Hebrew word is actually ol, O-L, which means burden. And it referred to the burden of daily living in subjection to the whole law. That's what the people thought about when they thought about being yoked. You know, Jesus' loving invitation to come to me and to take my yoke upon you was a stark contrast to the people's understanding of military oppression and religious burden. You see, they understood yokes to be painful. Yokes were frustrating. Yokes were exhausting. Yokes were harsh. But Jesus warmly invited the people to come to Him and experience a relationship with Him, pull together with Him, and enjoy a relationship that promised peace and life and freedom. Jesus said, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You see, my burden is not heavy to bear. My yoke is different than the yokes you are aware of in your life. Jesus was saying, try it. Now, I'd like to note the context of this passage. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 11, we have where John is in prison. John the Baptist, who was according to Jesus, the second greatest ever to walk the earth. John the Baptist is in prison. And he's discouraged. 
He's depressed. He's doubting. He's doubting. And he sends two of his disciples out to Jesus. And they ask him, for John the Baptist, they ask him, so are you the one that was to come or we, should we be looking for someone else? Can you just feel the, the discouragement of John the Baptist coming out of that? He was feeling very low. He was the one who came to prepare the way of the Lord. The one who preached with such boldness right in the face of the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, who preached the truth to them, calling people to repentance. And now he's in prison and he's saying, Jesus, are you the one that was supposed to come or should my disciples be looking for someone else? Wow. That's pretty low. And what does Jesus say? Yep, I'm the one. I'm the one. Look no further. Just look at me. No, that's not what Jesus said. Instead, Jesus said, look what's happening. What do you see? Go and tell John what you hear and see. And then he goes on to say, Verse 5, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended or fall away or be tripped up over me. (laughs) Go and tell John what you hear and see. Look at the results. They speak for themselves. Lives are being changed. People are experiencing new life. People are finding freedom. This sets the stage then for our text this evening. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me or learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, you see, and my burden is light. And so the call of Jesus tonight is to come away from ourselves And surrender to the Savior. Come away from our dead, empty religion. Come away from that frustration of living by the letter of the law. Come away from all of that bondage of trying to please, of trying to satisfy. Come away from that and instead experience a rich, warm, life-giving relationship with the Heavenly Father. In each of those pictures, I see there's this, and then there's this. And in the center, we have the cross. Come away from yourself. Come, up, come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Surrender at the cross of Jesus Christ. Accept 
the life-giving blood of Jesus Christ and give yourselves to me and experience true life, experience true freedom. It's the cross. The cross makes all the difference, dear people. To take the yoke of Jesus upon us is to yield ourselves to the Lord and to live in obedience to his word. The believer's Bible commentary puts it this way, to enter into submission to his will, to turn over control of one's life to him. And dear people, tonight I'm calling you to that place. I'm calling you to that place of full surrender to Jesus Christ because there is no freedom in the world that compares to the freedom of surrender to Jesus Christ. Wholehearted surrender to Jesus Christ. There's nothing that replaces that. And so tonight I am calling you to that place. Whether it's a brand new experience of surrender or whether... It's a renewal of coming back to Him. This evening we'd like to look at it this way. The freedom of the yoke, the power of the yoke, and the beauty of the yoke. The freedom, the power, and the beauty of the yoke of Jesus Christ. You know, every person, no matter how free they may think they are, is yoked. No one is outside or above influence or control. Someone or something is directing your life. Someone or something is controlling you. Someone or something is calling the shots in your life. I ask you this evening, whose slave are you? Whose slave are you? Turn to Romans chapter 6. You see, everyone is a slave in a spiritual sense. Either you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. In fact, the writers of the New Testament, they willingly declared themselves to be slaves of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, as he opens to the Romans, he considers himself a slave of Jesus Christ. As he opens to Titus, He refers to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. James, as he writes to the the, the saints which are spread all abroad, he refers to himself as a slave. He identifies as a slave of Jesus Christ. The analogy here is of a slave and a master. A slave obeys his master. Why? Because he just works for him? No, because he belongs to him. A slave obeys because he belongs to his master. It's about ownership, dear people. And so I see a difference. Now, I'm a bit disappointed in the King James Version because many times... When we have the word doulos, which is the Greek, the King James spells that out as servant. When actually, literally, doulos 
is slave. And to me, there is a difference. To me, slave fits the bill much more accurately than servant. A slave obeys because he belongs to his master. And you will see as we read this passage, you will see how that connects. Romans 6 verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves slaves to obey, his slaves ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the slaves of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the slaves of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men. Or he's saying, I'm going to put this in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, okay? I'm trying to get this across to you, so I'll put it in human terms here. For as ye have yielded your members slaves to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members slaves to righteousness unto holiness. Or he's saying, okay, just like you used to yield yourself to sin. Just like you used to obey sin because why? Because you were the slave of sin. Sin controlled you. Even so now, there's been a change. Even so now, you need to yield yourself as slaves of righteousness. Slaves of holiness. Why? Because you have a new master. Jesus Christ. Verse 20. For when ye were the slaves of sin, ye were free from righteousness. Okay? Ye were living for sin. Sin had control over you. You were not obligated in any way to do right things, to live a holy life. Why? Because you were the servant, the slave of sin. And then he goes on to say in verse 21, how did that work out for you? Think about that. Was it worth it? What good did it do for you? What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? I like that. Because he gives, how did, it, how did that work out for you then? And like, what do you think about it now? You know what it was like then. It was bondage. It was terrible. And what do you think about now? Well, now you're ashamed. You're like, man... What was I thinking? Why did I live like that? How could have I possibly been so deceived? I thought that was freedom. And I... So he's saying, think about it. Then and now, did it do you any good? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become slaves to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And so once again, he gives a now and a future. Now that you are a slave to Jesus Christ, now that you are taking control, uh, taking orders from Him, now that Jesus Christ controls you, what are you finding currently in life? What well, God is giving you fruit unto holiness. God is doing wonderful things in your life. He is planting within you the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And what do you have yet to come? Eternal life, which in fact doesn't just start then. We enjoy eternal life 
now when we surrender our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ and that goes on into the future forever and ever. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so here the Apostle Paul gives us two choices, okay? So we have the choice of serving self and sin and Satan, being a slave to self and sin and Satan. He says that does nothing more than produce fruit of impurity in your life. It leads to ever-increasing wickedness, which then leads to shame, which ultimately leads to death. That's one choice you have. He also says, here is the other choice. You can choose to be a slave to God. You can be a slave to righteousness, which produces the fruit of holiness, the fruit of purity in your life. And that ultimately results in everlasting life, eternal life. And so he basically looks at it this way. You were this, and now you are this, what is in between? What made the difference? How did you get from here to here? And that's in verse 17. He says, But God be thanked that ye were the slaves of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. The difference is obedience to the Word of God. The difference is the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Ye have obeyed from the heart. Oh, dear people, that makes all the difference. Would to God we would have more people in our circles today that are obeying from the heart. From the heart. How that would change our congregations. How that would change our relationships. How that would change everything about us when we are living out of obedience from the heart. We're living for Jesus Christ. We're going to church. We're going about our work. We're developing relationships. We're, we're, do, we're shopping. We're doing all those things. We're on the internet. Not because of stuff that we have to do. We're not shielding ourselves. We're not putting all these stoppers and, and filters and all these things because we have to, but because we want to. Because we please Jesus Christ. That's our greatest desire in life. That will make all the difference in the world. The power of the gospel, wholehearted obedience to the word of God. Believe it. Live it. And, and that's why, you see, the gospel has the power to change lives. And that's why the Apostle Paul could say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That's powerful. It leads to salvation to everyone who believes. You know, dear people, you are never so free as when you're abiding in Jesus Christ. You're never so free as when you're abiding in Jesus Christ. I had to think about what real freedom really is. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And he was probably living on the beach, wasn't he at that point, in a $2 million house and drinking pina coladas? And... Oh no. He was writing that from prison. 
Was the Apostle Paul free? Uh huh. He was really free. Let your mind go back to Haiti again. Think about the captives and the captors. Who were really free? Who were really free? Boy, if that story doesn't psych you up, I don't know what will. But I tell you, modern day Acts chapter 12, God is doing amazing things. If that doesn't give you a stronger faith in Jesus Christ, I don't know what will. But who was really free in Haiti? (laughs) It was the captives that were really free. You're never so free as when you're abiding in Jesus Christ. You know, however, there's a lie out there that says you are more free when you're not restrained. Where does that lie come from? Well, it comes from Satan. It comes from ourself. Satan was bucking the authority in heaven. He lost his spot there. And our self also likes to buck authority. Our self likes to get off of me. There's a lie out there that says you're more free when you're not restrained. Think about a kite for a moment. When we were younger, we flew kites quite a bit. In fact, a little... A little interesting note about my father that I'm sure you don't know. He loved kites. Back when we were younger, he built a lot of kites. And occasionally we'd go to a a kite flying day. This was down when we lived in the little quaint town of Govan, South Carolina. But I was just a little guy and occasionally went to some special kite flying day where people would bring kites and they'd bring homemade kites and there'd be little kite flying competitions and and Dad built kites. I remember once he built a little box kite out of toothpicks and flew it and won the award for the smallest flying kite. You know, those things stick out in my mind as an older fella now. But kites, kites are fun to fly. But think about a kite. A kite flies best. In fact, a kite is made to fly restrained. A kite flies best. A kite is the most beautiful. A kite is the most gracious. A kite can do what it's meant to do when it's being held back, when it's being restrained, when there's some bondage there. See, the kite's not in control of itself. Now, think for a moment if that kite would say, Man, I'm just tired of all this restraint. I'm tired of this yoke. I, like, I'm, I want to fly higher. And this string is holding me back. This string is, is keeping me from doing what I want to do. And so the kite cuts its own string. What would happen? <laughs> you all know what would happen. Maybe it's happened to you before when you were flying your kite. But that kite that was once flying so beautifully, flying so gracefully, that kite was doing what it was intended to do. All of a sudden, that kite starts looking awfully helpless. And it loses its momentum and crashes to the ground. Dear people, we're never so free as when we're abiding in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come unto me. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. Let's think about the power of the yoke. There's something fascinating about draft horses. Beautiful, muscular, powerful. I remember years ago going with my family down to Denton, North Carolina to the old Thresher's reunion. And we saw a lot of unique things, a lot of old antique tractors and old farm operations and all that. One of the things they did at that at old Thresher's reunion was they had draft horse poles. Amazing. How those horses teamed up two at a time would back up and they'd drop that, drop that chain into what they're pulling. And when that master would give the cue, those big horses would just squat down and work together as a team and pull that sled. That's power. It's beautiful. I was reading some time ago about draft horses and how they pull. Now, children, listen up. We're going to talk a little bit of math here, okay? Talk a little bit of math. They say that one draft horse pulling by itself can pull 8,000 pounds, okay? 8,000 pounds. So then we could assume that two pulling together could pull what? 16,000 pounds, right? Wrong. Two draft horses pulling together don't pull double. They actually pull triple. They can pull 24,000 pounds pulling together. But that's not all. If those two draft horses have trained together, if they've worked together, if they know each other, as it were. They don't pull just 24,000 pounds. They can pull 32,000 pounds. The two of them working together in tandem can pull four times the amount of weight that one could pull. Dear people, yoking with Jesus promises immeasurable power immeasurable power and I invite you to Ephesians chapter 1 we'd like to note a few verses in chapter 1 and chapter 3 but I ask you what does God want us to know what does God want us to know and experience in life he wants us to know and experience power Power. Chapter 1. Let's break in at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Here we go. That ye may know... The hope of his calling. Secondly, that ye may know what the riches 
of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Thirdly, that ye may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. And then he says, this is what it's like. This is what that power is like. It's like. Well, he says, according to his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. What does Jesus want us to know? What does he want us to experience in our lives? He wants, to, he wants us to experience power. He wants us to experience resurrection power. He says this power is just like the power that was exerted in Jesus Christ when he rose from the grave. He said, I want you to know and experience that in your life. We call it resurrection power. It's the power that helps us to live in victory daily. To walk in daily victory. That's resurrection power. And the Apostle Paul said in another place, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. I want to experience that. The word know is an intimate term. It has to do with seeing, hearing, tasting, feeling. It's an experiential knowledge. And the Apostle Paul says, I want you to know this power. I want you to experience it. I want you to feel it. I want you to taste it. I want it to be an inseparable part of your life. The power of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3. Here is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And let's jump in at verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. You notice that? Now that Brother Ben last night talked about the glory of God, this word glory keeps popping out at me, but there in verse 18 it talked about the riches of his glory. Now once again, we have that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened, strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and height and to know the love of Christ. The Apostle Paul is saying here, I want you to know, I want you to experience, I want the love of Christ to be an inseparable part of who you are. It passes knowledge. You can't even understand it. That ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow, that's power. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. What does God want you to know and experience in your life? 
And I ask you, do you want to know and experience that mighty power in your life? Do you want to? Then let me just say, stop trying to pull through life all by yourself. Stop trying to pull through life all by yourself. Too many Christians today, I believe, live a, a flat, unemotional, powerless existence because they are not fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, the Holy Spirit does not have the freedom to fully work in their lives. They're holding certain areas for themselves. There's certain corners where they haven't completely surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. They haven't given them up to Jesus Christ. And God wants to do great things in your life. God wants to strengthen you with His power. He wants you to understand the love of Christ. He wants you to know that. And yet there's Christians today that are going through life and they're dull and life is drab and they don't have the power to live in consistent victory and it's because they have not fully surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit wants to work in you and wants to give you power. But you hold in your hands, as it were, the key to that. Will you release and allow Him to do that work? Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Ever wondered why that doesn't work that well for you? Ever wonder why you hit so many dead ends in your spiritual life? You see, in the Christian life, the more you give up, the more you get. Now, those two are actually directly proportional. You give more, you get more. You give less, or you get less. All right? Oswald Chambers put it this way. The only way to know the strength of God is to take the yoke of Jesus upon us and learn from Him. And so I ask you this evening, are you willing to do the uncomfortable in order to experience the unimaginable? You see, when we give God the keys to our life, bowing in full surrender to Him, He promises to do for us exceeding abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. God wants to do that in your life. God will do that in your life. But I say, are you willing to do the uncomfortable in order to experience the unimaginable? That's God's promise to us. Let's think about the beauty of the yoke. The beauty of the yoke. The yoke of Jesus is beautiful because it teaches us the truth about who Jesus is. I want you to think about that. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn from me. 
For I am meek and lowly in heart. You see, you won't find that. You won't experience that unless you take the yoke of Jesus upon you. I ask you, does taking the next step in your commitment to God scare you? Are you fearful of fully consecrating yourself to Him? I'll confess that sometimes I am. Why am I? Because in my flesh, I don't completely trust God. In my flesh, I have these thoughts like, if I, if I give God my wife, or if, if I give God my children, like maybe He'll take them from me. Like maybe someone will die. Like, and so I, I'm not quite willing to surrender because I don't completely trust and, well, as Otto Koning said in his pineapple story, give everything you got to God. He knows how to take care of it much better than you do. And so Otto Koning in that story talked about all the struggles he had. How the natives kept stealing his pineapples, stealing his tools, stealing his everything. He would get so mad, so upset. Because they were his things. You've got your things, I've got my things. And they kept stealing. So little by little, he kept giving up ground. Okay, you can have my pineapples. Sure, take my tools. Whatever, take it. You know what? He realized that when he gave his things away, when he consecrated everything he had to God, it was then that he experienced peace. That's when he experienced peace. You know why? Because they weren't his anymore. <laughs> God knows how to take care of his stuff better than we do. You know, Jesus knows our struggle. Jesus knows our fears. And in the midst of that, he says, I want you to come to me. I want you to take my yoke upon you and learn of me because, dear people, I'm meek. I'm lowly in heart. You have nothing to fear. You can trust me. You know, probably the best way to get to know someone is to work closely with them. You might think you know them. You might think you, you know how they're going to react. But you don't really know them. You don't really know who they are until you rub shoulders with them day by day. You could think about your work environment. You could think about your marriage relationship. And I'll just tell you that I thought I knew Kim when I married her. But I realized after we got married that I didn't know Kim as well as I thought I did. Now, I'm not, I'm not being mean here, okay? Because she's listening to me, I think, right there. I'm just saying that we don't really truly know someone and get to honestly know who they are and what they're about until we work with them, until we live with them, until we rub shoulders with them day in and day out. 
In fact, I'm still learning to know and appreciate and love my wife. And she can say the same for me. In essence, Jesus is saying to the people, and I'll say to the weary people, as he's standing there and these people are are weary from their load, whether it's a load of religion or a, a load of military oppression or that type of thing, or they're just wore out as it were. Jesus is saying, stop holding out on me. I know you're gun shy. I know you've been through a lot. I know you've been hurt. I know you're limping along. I know you're hesitant to trust me. But just take my yoke. Try me. Try me and you will find, you will find that I am meek. That I am lowly in heart. I am nothing to be afraid of. You will find that you will never ever want to work for another after you've worked with me. You see, the yoke of Jesus is beautiful because by taking it upon us, we experience warm, life-giving, freedom-giving relationship with our Heavenly Father. The yoke of Jesus is also beautiful because it promises rest to our souls. You know, it's one thing to experience rest in our bodies. It's one thing to experience ease of mind, as it were. But there's nothing more refreshing and there's nothing more satisfying than to experience the deep peace and rest that comes from way down inside. To know that there's nothing between myself and the Savior. To know that there's Nothing that is separating us to know that I have a clean slate to know that I have a clear conscience. There's nothing between I say there's nothing more peaceful and restful than that. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes and the peace of God, which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I believe that within that context, we are eternally secure. There's nothing that can pluck us out of God's hand in that context. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We are truly kept by the power of God as we daily yield ourselves to Him, as we step into the yoke with Him, giving Him control of our lives, allowing Him to have His way with us, His way in us. The prophet Jeremiah writes, in Jeremiah 6.16, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. That is the call of God to each one of us tonight. You know what is the sobering thought about that verse? That's not quite where the verse ends. And it shows our rebellious spirit. The verse ends by saying, and you would not, or something to that effect. No, no, we don't want to do that. We'd rather do our own thing. We're not good with that. Listen to the words of this song written by Joy Webb 
share my yoke. When I'm tired and nothing's going right for me, when things I've counted on just do not come my way, when in my mind the thick gray folds of doubt arise, it's then I seem to hear him say, share my yoke and find that I am joined with you. Your slightest movement I shall feel and be there too. Share my yoke and come the way that I must go. In our togetherness, my peace you'll know. The world beholding us will see it so. When I'm perplexed and no one's understanding me, when even safest thoughts collapse in disarray, when I've lost the things that always seemed so sure, it's then I need to hear him say, Verse 3, when I'm alone and nothing's getting through to me, an isolation that increases day by day, when closest friends can seem a thousand miles away, it's then I long to hear him say, share my yoke and find that I am joined with you. Your slightest movement I shall feel and be there too. Share my yoke and come the way that I must go in our togetherness. My peace you'll know. The world beholding us will see it so. The yoke of Jesus is so beautiful because it promises rest to our souls. Thirdly then, the yoke of Jesus is beautiful because it is easy to use and it is light to bear. You believe that? It is easy to use and it is light to bear. That's what Jesus said. He said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we go, ish. <laughs> Let's talk about that for just a moment. Easy is the Greek word Christos, which means it's good. It's gentle. It's easy to use or bear. It's profitable. Okay. All right, it's good for you. It's profitable. In other words, there is nothing harsh or aggravating or irritating or bothersome about the yoke of Jesus. It's good for you. It's gentle. And then he says, it's, my burden is light or it's, it's light in weight. It's easy to carry. Now, once again, Jesus was contrasting his yoke with the other yokes that the people were toiling under, uh, the demands of the law, the yoke of the religious leaders of the day, uh, the stifling yoke of the Roman government, the, those yokes, they were toiling under those. And Jesus says, wait a minute, my yoke is different. My yoke is different than those yokes. You see, the gospel message is not about adding weight. It's not about adding suffering or difficulty or frustration to your life. In fact, the gospel message is completely the opposite. The gospel message is about bringing life, healing, hope, freedom. Fill in the blank. That's what the gospel message is all about. In fact, that morning when Jesus went back to his hometown... And he went back to the church where he had grown up. The scripture says in Luke chapter 4 that that morning, in fulfillment 
of prophecy, Jesus got up and he quoted from the prophet Isaiah. Actually, he read in the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, freedom, them that are bruised. Jesus said, that's why I have come. That's my mission for coming to earth. What about that don't you like? What about that is bad to you? What about that do you shy away from? You see, that's the message of the gospel. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. That's what he came to fulfill. Speaking of godly wisdom, the wise man wrote this. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. And you might still say, but wait a minute. Like, how is this? Because the Apostle Peter says that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And you know, we sing that song, it's not an easy road, we're traveling to heaven, because many are the thorns on the way. And you're telling me that Yoking up with Jesus is easy. It's a light burden. You say, it's, it's not easy to be a Christian. And I say, sure. No, it doesn't come natural for us. And so we have to work at it. We have to work for it. It goes against our nature. It runs contrary to how we're programmed. And I agree. Putting self to death and surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ is never simple. It's never a piece of cake. But let me just put it this way. That surrender to Jesus Christ, no matter the sufferings that may result, is a light burden to bear compared with the heavy penalties of sin and self. Dear people, it's a light burden to bear in comparison to the alternative. And when you look at it honestly, being a Christian is far easier than being a sinner. Serving the Savior is indescribably easier than serving Satan. There is no harsher, more brutal bondage than the yoke of self and Satan. And I don't care how free you might think you are, if you have not surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you are to be pitied because you are serving a terrible master. It's a road that leads to death. And you might say, look, I'm not serving Satan. I just, I just have another way of doing it. Like, I just think it should be done this way. Like, I think there's a better way. Did you know that there in heaven, Lucifer wasn't serving Satan either, really, was he? He was serving himself. But it's exactly that train of thought that made Lucifer Satan. I want you to look at a picture of the world today. And you tell me if verse 30 is true. Jesus said, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Look at a picture of the world today. I want you to look at the marriages. Picture in your mind. The marriages. The homes. The relationships. Look at the end of those people who live for themselves. 
Picture the psychiatric wards. Listen to the screams in the abortion clinics. Think of the movie stars, the sports stars. Think about how they live. Think about how they die. You tell me if that's freedom. You tell me if that's freedom. Now I want you to picture a life where Jesus Christ is on the throne. And you tell me if verse 30 is true or not. Picture a life where Jesus Christ is on the throne. I want you to picture the homes. I want you to picture the relationships. I want you to picture the marriages, the businesses, the schools, the congregations. I want you to picture those places that are operating out of their love for God and a desire to please Him in all areas of life. Look at the faces. Look at the atmospheres. And you tell me what's freedom. You tell me if Jesus was telling the truth or not. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I say, oh yes, that kind of living is hard work. And I don't have to tell you that. That kind of living is hard work. It doesn't happen easily. And there are difficulties along the way. But the burdens that come with living for Jesus Christ are feather light compared to the crushing weight of sin and guilt. I say they're feather light. The Apostle Paul said, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I invite you to Exodus 21 as we bring this to a close this evening. Exodus chapter 21. We're talking tonight about experiencing freedom in Christ. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is your level of commitment to Jesus Christ tonight? Are you living in freedom? Do you know and experience the power of Jesus Christ in your life? Is that real in you? Are you finding power for consistent victory in your life? Or do you still find yourself in Romans chapter 7? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from the power of this death? The body of this death? Dear people, there is freedom in Jesus Christ. Whose slave are you tonight? Exodus chapter 21, verse 2. 
And this is just a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture of sold out, wholehearted surrender to Jesus Christ. It's a story from many years ago. This is something that happened many years ago. This was a part of the law, and yet it sheds a beautiful light on New Testament living today. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh year he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, I love my wife, and I love my children, and I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. And that word literally is, shall bring him to God. Elohim. It's a sacred transaction. It's a sacred surrender. Then his master shall bring him unto Elohim, unto God. He shall also bring him to the door and unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. In response to that, the songwriter wrote, Pierce my ear, O Lord my God. Take me to your door this day. I will serve no other God. Lord, I'm here to stay. For you have paid the price for me with your blood. You ransomed me. I will serve you eternally. A free man I'll never be. How beautiful is that? A free man I'll never be. And yet, dear people, in being a slave to Jesus Christ, you will experience the greatest freedom that is ever available to man. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. Jesus is calling us tonight to come to him, to surrender ourselves, to come away from ourselves and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wholehearted obedience to the truth. And I'm calling you to that tonight as well. And I'm giving you opportunity tonight to respond to the warm, loving invitation of Jesus Christ to come and experience a life-giving relationship with the Heavenly Father. And so, maybe you've never made that first-time commitment to Jesus Christ. He's calling you tonight. Tonight's the night. Maybe you have once and you've wandered away from Him. Maybe you've grown cold, complacent in your life, in your relationship with the Lord. He's calling you too. Maybe you're struggling with a besetting sin. Maybe you're struggling with something that you just can't get a handle on. 
Jesus is calling you to. You can experience freedom tonight. Why carry it on? God's call tonight is today is the day of salvation. You know, today we live in the day of grace. But one day that door will be shut. Why not answer that call tonight? And you might think, well, Josh, this is conference. Like, (laughs) we don't do this. Dear people, no one will laugh at you. No one will make fun of you. There is no warmer place to commit your life back to Christ than among His people. People that will love you. People that support you. People that will pray for you. People that will lift you up. And I just call you to that place tonight. The Lord is speaking to you. Why don't we sing number 918 in the hymns of the church. All to Jesus I surrender. And if the Lord is speaking to you tonight, I just simply invite you to stand to your feet saying that I'm driving a stake in my life tonight. I'm committing my heart and life to Jesus Christ. Whatever the details may be for you, but you're driving a stake. You're giving yourself in wholehearted surrender. As we sing, stand to your feet if you find the Spirit speaking to you. 918, Brother Grant, would you lead that verse? The Lord is calling for you. Heed his call. The Lord is speaking to you tonight. Be real with him. He sees. He knows. Let's sing the last verse yet. for prayer. Lord, we're so grateful to you tonight for another opportunity to dig into your word together and to be challenged, to be inspired, to be convicted. Father, we want to thank you so much for the warm, loving invitation 
from Jesus Christ to come and experience true life, to experience freedom. Oh, Father, we need that. So often we try to go our own way and we get ourselves in so much trouble. And Father, I pray that you would work among us tonight. You know the needs among us. You know the hearts. You know the bondage. And Lord, I pray tonight, if there are strongholds here among us tonight, I pray that you would, through the name of Jesus and through his power, I pray that those could be broken and that freedom could be found. And if there are those who did not have the courage to stand here in this service, I pray that they would yet do business with you before they go to bed tonight, Father. Bless those who were real with you and who made that commitment again tonight. May you bless them, reward them richly, restore their joy and peace, Father. We want to be a church that is alive and well and ready for your return. So, Father, help us to grow in your likeness. Help us to give up self and through the power of Jesus Christ, surrender wholeheartedly to you that the world may know that there is a God that is still alive and well and that you may be glorified. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.